Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's just before Hebrews. Well, just before Hebrews is Philemon. Before Philemon then. Titus chapter 2. Praise God forevermore. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 11. For the grace of God, how many of you love the grace of God? Amen? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. So the grace of God is the very sufficiency of God. How sufficient is God? All right. So the grace of God is sufficiency for thee. And that is the reason why it says in another place, God will cause all grace to abound towards you that you might have all sufficiency. Because grace is sufficiency. It's provision. It's enablement. It's empowerment. But it also comes at Jesus' expense. It's not because of works of righteousness which we have done. It is nothing that you and I have earned. Amen? It was given unto us before the foundation of the world, and it was not according to our works. It wasn't according to anything that we did. It was because of the Lamb of God that was also slain from the foundation of the world. Amen? Say, I got grace. So the grace of God is abundant, it's wonderful. And it says, it says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that brings wholeness, deliverance, preservation, prosperity, freedom, liberty, has appeared to all men. It's available to every human being. But we know from other places in the scripture, it only comes upon those that believe. Say, I believe. I believe. So it's come upon you. You've entered into it. Amen? But look what it goes on to say. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this grace that we have come into, this grace that is so free and so abundant, that is the very sufficiency and provision of God, not based on our works, this very grace also comes, and this grace is a teacher. Say grace is a teacher. But actually, you should, shouldn't be so surprised that grace is a teacher. You know why? Because grace is not just a thing. Grace is a person. The Bible says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth what? Came. Came what? Through Jesus. Amen? So for those that have difficulties with, 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 with grace and the doctrine of grace and so on and so forth, you got difficulty with Jesus. Because he is grace. Amen? All right. And if you, and, if, and Jesus is certainly a teacher, is he not? But what does he teach? What does the grace of God teach? It teaches us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live how? Soberly. Now that word soberly means, the Bible says um, in Romans chapter, chapter 12, do not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Amen? So we must not be puffed up in our thinking. It didn't say to think of yourself lowly, though. It says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So to think soberly according as God. To think soberly, how? According as God. To think soberly is to think like God. Are you with me? So it says here, the grace of God has come and it wants to teach us to deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, live in a manner where we think and have our conversation like God. Think soberly, think like God, operate like God, righteously. The issue of righteousness is oneness with God and godly. Come on, we're talking God here, aren't we? Amen? When, right now, we're in this present world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are to be lights in this world, amen? Among this crooked and perverse generation, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's not looking for him, meaning in the sense of when he returns, but that's looking for him rising up within you. Amen? And that light being made manifest. Who gave himself for us. What for? Well, he gave himself for us so that we might be made righteous. Isn't that right? Yeah. 
He gave himself for us. He became sin that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. So no wonder the, the grace of God will teach us to live righteous. Because that was one of the reasons he came. He gave himself for us that he might also redeem us from all iniquity, every twist, every bend, and purify. Say purify. Purify unto himself a peculiar people. The Bible says in 3 John, um, Behold what manner of love the Father has for us, that we might be called the children of God. God has such love for you that you are called the very sons of God. And even though the world doesn't recognize us and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, what we do know is that when Jesus appears, when he is made manifest, we shall be like him and we shall see him how? As he is. Isn't that right? And then it goes on to say in, in, in 1 John 3, 3, and everyone that has that hope, what hope? To see him as he is? What hope? That hope that, that as he is, that's how we're going to be made manifest? That what hope? That hope of Christ within us rising up. Everyone that has that hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everyone that has that hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. Amen? Now I'm starting this message here because of this. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to... Uh, um, I, I, it, my flesh nature doesn't like correction. Do you? I, like, you know, don't correct me. Maybe you can write me a note, but don't correct me. <laughs> My flesh don't like correction. But the Bible says all scripture is given for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. So that I can live in this oneness. So that the man of God, so that each and every one of us could be mature and thoroughly furnished and well equipped. Amen? So if that be the case, we must be zealous for correction. The Bible says, look, God corrects us, but the reason he does it is not just, the reason he does it is so that you and I might partake of his holiness. So that we might, he, so that we would rise up and that we would come and, and, and that fruit, that, that, that life that comes out of living in oneness with him will grow and multiply and we'll be operating in greater and greater levels of holiness. Amen? The Bible says, without holiness, what? No man shall see God. And we're not just talking about, about going to heaven. It's talking about manifestation. Say manifestation. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Well, let's flip that around. With holiness, what's going to happen? We're going to have manifestation. But, no man, but holiness is a fruit that comes out of living in this place of oneness with him. As if it's not even you there. As if it's just him alone. Can you imagine living your life as if as if you're not even there and it's just, it's just God. Think about that. Right? Where it's just, in your head, in your thinking, it's, it's only God only. Every action, every decision, every choice, it is all about Him. It's all about His purpose. It is all about His priority. It's all about what makes Him look good. Think about that. How would that, what would that, how would that affect your conversation? How would that affect your lifestyle? The Bible says Jesus lived in such a manner. Jesus, you know, God looked at Jesus and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Say well pleased. In fact, the title for this message today is Pleasing God Pleases God. Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> Pleasing God pleases God. Jesus lived in a manner where the Father's proclamation and says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because of that living in that oneness as if it was just God, and that's it. The fruit of his life was one of holiness. The Bible says in, in um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, oh yes, with the Holy Ghost and power, but God, Jesus was, because he loved righteousness, and he hated iniquity, Therefore God, even our God, has anointed him with the oil of joy above all his fellows. Jesus had a lot of joy. Amen? He was overflowing with joy. 
And it was his strength. And, and, and it was that very joy that was set before him that gave him the grace to walk through the cross. But the reason for that joy was because it was an anointing. And it was anointing that came because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Amen? You see, the world will tell you something totally different about joy. The world lies to you. Sin lies to you. Sin says, oh, just do this and do that and do what you feel like and you're going to have joy. That's a lie. It's not true. Amen. Anyway, let's go down that path right now. So anyway, so the grace of God teaches us to live righteously, to live godly, to live in oneness with God, to, to, to develop the fruit of holiness. Amen? And it, so grace teaches, grace corrects, grace instructs. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it goes on to say, that we might be redeemed from all iniquity and purified unto himself a peculiar people that is zealous of good works. Now, as I share this today, um, I'm being very careful and, and, and sensitive to the fact that this needs to be preached. We need to comprehend grace. We need to be established in righteousness. But at the same time, we must not get fall into the trap of thinking that, they are about, uh, uh, that, that, it's, that somehow our works qualify us before God. Where we become confident and our trust is in our works. Amen? And so we got this such a fine line. Or maybe it's not such a fine line. <laughs> right? And we don't want to get over it in the realm of law and legalism. But let us also recognize that the fruit that comes out of making these right choices and believe in God and trust in God and abiding in righteousness, that the fruit and the actions that come out of it, the works that come out of it, the works that come out of it are going to be works of faith, are going to be works of righteousness, are going to be fruits of righteousness. In other words, then, because of my trust and my confidence in God, and because I'm living to please him, there are certain things I will and will not do. Are you with me? There are certain things I will and will not say. I'm not going to confess sickness and disease. You know why? Because I'll be lying. I'll be lying against a heavenly truth that says he bore my sicknesses, he carried my diseases, and by his stripes I'm healed, and that law of the Spirit of life in Christ dominates me. I'm not going to deny a problem I'm dealing with, but I'm not going to go and major in that either. Why? In other words, my varies, my speaking and my actions are to line up. They are what they are because of faith. Amen? But it doesn't mean that it is what I do. You see, it's not about... It's Okay, first of all, I'm a being. What being? <laughs> I'm a Christian. I, 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 I'm this, I, I am what I am in Christ and therefore I am to be who I am in Christ and in being who I am in Christ I will do certain things certain works will follow alright okay alright so we just said that's the acknowledge now let's go to Proverbs chapter 16 so we're talking about pleasing God say pleasing God alright Proverbs chapter 16 flip over there We may look at a few scriptures today, amen? Say, I'm so comfortable with this message. Awesome. Verse 6. <laughs> by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, that's honoring God, men depart from evil. When a man weighs, say weighs, when a man ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with right, with outright. Even in this context, we see God's priority, mercy, truth, righteousness. And attracting it all, he says, when a man ways please me. God says, when a man ways please me, I'm going to make his enemies to be at peace with him. 
I'm going to make his enemies to love him. No, I'm going to make his enemies to respect him and to leave him alone. In other words, I'm going to make the weapons formed against him to not prosper. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, when it was talking about the blessings and the curse, it says when the enemy come against you one way, he will flee how many ways? Seven ways. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And for those of you who have been studying along, you know that when we're talking about the God of peace, we're not just talking about shalom. We include shalom. It includes nothing broken, nothing missing. But when we're talking about peace, we are talking about the fact that every single thing, every situation has been reconciled through the sacrifice of Christ to God's original intent. So that the challenges and the problem we face has already been fixed. And that's why when we walk, we walk with the gospel shoes of peace, having that confidence that even though I'm in a war zone, even though I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that and this is how this looks and this is how this feels, I know this. I have on these gospel shoes because this situation has already been reconciled. And thanks be to God that has already given me the victory. This matter is already settled in heaven. Can you see the difference? So it is that God of peace that will bruise Satan underneath your feet. But there's a connection here, though. It is when a man weighs, please me. When a man weighs, please me. Amen? And, 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 and if I could jump ahead very quickly. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. Does it not? Therefore, if you're going to please God, it's going to have to be by faith. And since we're talking about ways, it means it's probably more than faith. But it might be more than faith, but yet it might all be faith. Because you see, there's something very magnificent and wonderful about God and his, and his person and his character and the essence of his being and truth. Truth always agrees. Amen? Truth runs right into each other. You start studying, the, you start studying, you, you stay in the word, next thing you know it becomes truth. The word is truth. Isn't that right? You start studying love, next thing you know, love casts out fear, and then you come to find out um, when you be establishing righteousness, you're far from oppression, no fear. So all of a sudden, righteousness and love come and meet. And it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Because there is a unity of truth within God himself. So even though, yes, faith pleases God, but yet it says ways. Because you see that faith works by love. Does it not? So if faith works by love and faith pleases God, love must also please God. Is that true? But then you see, love also, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? You're going to obey me. Amen? And it says obedience is better than sacrifice. So all of a sudden then it will mean obedience pleases God. Would it not? And then what about, what about it says, here we are, we are a, a, a holy priesthood. Called to offer up sacrifices that are well-pleasing to him. Well, if there's sacrifices that are pleasing to him and faith pleases him, that sacrifice must have some faith involved. Thanksgiving? Does Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving have to do with faith? In fact, look at this verse of scripture. This, don't, don't, don't shift off too far, but look at this verse of scripture. Psalm 69 and verse um, 29 and... 13, 31. I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. God is already big, isn't he? You can't make God bigger than he is already big. But yet with thanksgiving in your heart and in your mind, it's like you put a magnifying glass and all of a sudden he becomes bigger. And that honors him. That pleases him. Because you're acknowledging his character. He's acknowledging his being. He's acknowledging his faithfulness. You're acknowledging his integrity. You're acknowledging what is already finished. And that pleases him. But that's faith. Because the circumstances may not be agreeing with your thanksgiving. Hello? So it says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox and a bullock that had horns and hoofs. Amen. The humble shall see this and be revived. Glory to God. 
Hallelujah. That's the way, that's the ticket right here to personal revival. Amen. Amen. You don't have to wait for revival to hit the whole country. You can have your own revival right here. Mark it down, come back, meditate in it. Psalm 69, 32 is a revival, personal revival scripture. Anyway, but he says, I praise the name of the Lord. I magnify my thanksgiving. This shall please the Lord. So the very sacrifice of thanksgiving, which involves faith, pleases God. The sacrifice of praise pleases God. And, and it goes on. The sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart pleases God. And all of it involves faith. Amen? Because many times for you to operate in a broken and a contrite heart, despising and hating sin and stuff like that, you got to deny your flesh. And you got to remember something. Here we're talking about the ninth flesh, and we're talking about pleasing God. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says that the carnal mind is enmity with God, and that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, those don't be in the flesh. Hello? You see, that the danger about the law, even though we're not going there, is that when you go trying to operate in the law to please God, you're going to get into trouble because, you're angry, because the law is connected to your flesh. So you're doomed before you start. <laughs> Amen? By the law shall no man be justified in his sight. All right? I know that's anyway. All right. That's... So, when a man wears please the Lord, God says, I'll make his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, here's what you need to get a hold of at the same time. Pleasing God is not automatic. That's deep. <laughs> you knew that anyway. It's not automatic pleasing God. Even under grace, this new covenant of grace that we're in, it's not automatic. Is faith automatic? God has dealt every man measure a measure of faith, but does every believer operate in faith? The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. Does every believer possess and constrained by the love of God? No. Come on. No. Obedience. Amen? Does every, is obedience automatic? No. Is praise automatic? No. Right? So, don't expect pleasing God will be automatic. It's not. But and then because that be the case, God looks on the heart, the Bible says. Now when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the soul chamber of your heart. That part that is deceitful and desperately wicked at times. That part that Jesus says, out of this part comes all the, comes all the lying and the cursing and the cheating and the, the murders and all of this other stuff. He says, that's where it comes from. Where do these things come from? It's not, the, it's not what you eat, it's what comes out from the heart. Isn't that what he said? He's talking about the soul chamber of the heart. He's not talking about it. He, when he's talking about all of that filth and all that contamination, it's the soul chamber. The spirit, the spirit chamber of the heart is concerned. It says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, that let it be the hidden man of the heart, right? That is undefiled, that is incorruptible. That means it's pure. Well, those are two opposites. One part that is pure and the next part that is defiled, right? That's because the spirit chamber, the one that is born again, is pure. Your born-again spirit is totally, completely, perfectly pure. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 1.22 that concerning your spirit man, get all of this, it is holy, it is blameless, it is without fault, without reproach in his sight. Amen? That's what God, that's how God sees his spirit. You see, your spirit is exactly like Jesus. Holy. Without blame, without blemish, without fault, without reproach. No fault can be found. Now, it's not that way in your soul. Amen? Now, later on, when God tells us, well, our here, God is going to say, work out your salvation. Get all that good stuff on the inside to come to the outside. And that's grace. Grace goes from the inside out. The law is from the outside in. That's why it doesn't work. So when we get into how do we do this, it's going to start by recognizing what you have on the inside. Recognizing that in his sight, I am holy, I am without blemish, I am without reproach. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, and I believe it is verse, I think it's verse 9. 
It says the reason why um, there are certain areas where we haven't grown and we haven't matured in various virtues is because they had forgotten that they were purged from their sin. In other words, then, if you would remember that you're righteous and keep that in the forefront of your thinking, there is a power that will come out of that that will cause you to live right. Amen? Amen? You know, when you have that, the problem with law is, you know, whenever you put up a sign, wet pain, don't touch, what happens? <laughs> Amen? Right? You know what I mean? You know, don't, don't throw stones. I mean, so you could just see some little kids coming along, and I mean, they're going along fine. They're doing just fine. But then here comes a sign, a sign that says, don't throw these stones. What do you think those kids are going to do? You see what the law does? It wakes up that nature. <laughs> Amen? So that's not the answer. The answer is grace. But it works from the inside out. So we, you, you do have to recognize that it is sight. This is how I am. I'm holy and I'm blameless. And then from there, we release the power to live right. Amen? Anyway, that's, that's fast forwarding a little bit. But in your spirit, your spirit man is absolutely, totally perfect. It is so perfect, in fact, that God says, God says, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says there is now no condemnation. Well, you see, where there is no guilt, there is no condemnation. When you are here and you are there in your purity and in your innocence, as if sin has never been, you know what I mean? I mean, you're there and here is the tree of life and, and I mean, you know, and you're in that, that place of absolute purity and innocence and no sense of wrongdoing and all of that. There is no sense, there is no sense of condemnation. Condemnation comes out of guilt. Really. Amen? Because it's pro we program that way. And that is why we need to receive the blood of Jesus and be cleansed from that guilt. And recognize what has been done. And that is why, even though before you sin, God has already forgiven you. Some of you might sin before today is done or before the week is done. You might. Or you might. You might. <laughs> Amen? Now, here's the thing. When you do and you mess up, God already forgives you. The blood has already been shed. But that sense of guilt can so affect your conscience that, that, that condemnation creeps back in, even though God is not condemning you. Yet, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, and 1 verse 19, that God is not condemning you, but if your heart condemns you, you can't have confidence towards God. Amen? So you need to assure your heart, get your heart fixed before him. Recognize that he doesn't condemn you, receive the blood, and apply it to yourself through repentance or whatever, so that you could get back in that place where I'm free. And that condemnation can't stick to me. That's the reason why it says in 1st Epistle of John, chapter 1 and verse 7, it says the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. Which means what? Right? I mean, it's like, you know, you're sleeping all night and your heart beating. Whether you think about it or not, it's just beating. Well, in the same way, the blood of Jesus, and this is beautiful, the blood of Jesus, it just flows all the time, flows all the time, cleansing you. It's like having this, you know, the story just told about this. This is a boy that had this, that, um, you know, was very poor and so on. And, um, and um, one day he was outside playing and he found this beautiful, nice looking stone. And he, and he thought, man, I like this stone. And he decided this stone was going to be like his own special toy. So he would play with, play with the stone for a while. And then when it's time for him to go back in the house, he'll dig a hole and he'll hide the stone so that nobody else picks it up. But then next time he come back, dig up his stone to play with it, the stone would be dirty. And he kept going on about this. But then you see, one day he, one day he realized, and I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> one, day, one day he recognized that there's this little waterfalls here. There's this little falls. And he realized, wait a minute, if I take this stone, when I'm finished playing with it, and I just put it under the waterfalls, I can go home, I can do whatever it is, and when I come back, the stone will be clean. Why is that? Because it keeps on flowing. Well, that's how the blood is. That's what 1 John 1, 7 says. The blood continually cleanses us from all sin. But in spite of that being the case, what happens when you mess up and that guilt gets in, 
God don't have a problem. The blood is already speaking on your behalf, but now your consciences are beginning to accuse you. So 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Does that mean that somehow you stop being righteous? No. You are the righteousness of God in Christ regardless of what you do or don't do. But what happened is that guilt that created a sense of condemnation created a sense of separation and unrighteousness within you. And that began to affect your faith. So what do you do? That's why you confess. That's why you repent. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, that was free. <laughs> All right. But, you, but we need to understand that um, your spirit man is absolutely perfect. There is no condemnation. And in fact, not only that, the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, now that you have been justified and declared righteous before God, you are delivered from the wrath to come. What does that mean? That means God is not angry at you. God says, I'll never be angry at you. Flip over with me to Isaiah 54. We're just going to take our time and walk through this, okay? Because this here will set you free. It will. Because we've got to be able to live in a place where I don't come under any condemnation, right? Even though I am not perfect in my outer man, and I got to be able to live, continue to grow, continue to mature, not short circuit my faith, and still be and still recognize that okay, God is not mad at me, God is not angry at me, but then I got to recognize that even though, but yet in the area of my soul, I can do some things that are not pleasing to Him, and that is why He searches your heart to see your motive, to see what's happening in that soul area that needs to be fixed. Amen. But it's better if I fix it than, than for him to tell me to fix it. The Bible says, judge yourself lest you be judged. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. To see if you're operating in that place where you have confidence in what is finished. Because sometimes we slip out of faith and, 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 and begin to, to, to be in a realm of unbelief and don't even realize it. Amen. Sometimes we got, we got to fight to remain in that sense of righteousness because things come along and you find yourself being separated. I mean, the, the coronavirus and all of a sudden, fear and a whole bunch of stuff. And you forgot, you forget that you have the spirit of God inside of you and the same spirit who raised up Christ in the dead quickens your mortal body so that even if coronavirus came in contact with your body, it's supposed to die in contact. Amen? Amen? But you got to believe that. Amen. If you don't believe that, it's not going to die. Amen? Amen? As a man, believe it in his heart. Do you have a right to believe that? you got to believe according as it is written, according as it is finished. And according as it is finished says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ makes you free from the law of sin and death. According to what is finished, it also says, no plague shall come even near your dwelling. Amen? Amen? A thousand might die over there and ten thousand over there, but it doesn't have to touch you. Amen? Now, I, I hope that this thing doesn't become an epidemic and it doesn't become widespread. But just in case it did, why don't you begin to immunize yourself now? Hello? I'm serious. Build your house. You don't want to build your house in the middle of the storm. Build your house in the good weather. Amen? Make sure the roof and everything is in place when it's nice and sunny. Don't wait until the rainy season. When, our, when the storm and the wind is blowing and all of this stuff, folks, and all this kind of... No, no, do it now. Say right now in the name of Jesus. I'm never going to have no coronavirus. Not me or my house. I put the blood upon my doorposts, over my house. It shall not come near me. Because God's word says so. And I agree with him. So I say so. Amen. Amen. So, oh, did I say going to Isaiah? You need to get a hold of this. Isaiah 54 and verse 9 and 10. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn, God says I've sworn that I would not be wrought with thee nor rebuke thee. 
God says, I have sworn I'm not going to be angry at you. And I'm not going to rebuke you. Right? For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. Say the Lord that had mercy in me. No, you need to know that. So that is the fact. That is how it is in your spirit. Now, the reason why it can be this way is because when Jesus was lifted up, the Bible says he took all the judgment, all the punishment for sin, he took it upon himself so that you and I don't have to. He drew it all, all of that punishment, all of that judgment, he drew it to himself. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, the chastisement, every punishment, and anything that was necessary for, have, for us to have peace, he paid the price. It also goes on to say God watched the trough. God poured out his wrath on him. And God will see the travail and the agony of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus, what the price he paid, satisfied the scales of justice of heaven on your behalf and mine. So God has a legal right to not punish you. To not come and see there's a difference. Okay, so... um. And, and okay, here again, here's another one. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Does it say that? Right? First Corinthians 2 16. Does it say you have the mind of Christ? Or you gotta go get it? It says you have it. But now in Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let the mind of Christ be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let it. Are you with me? So there is a contrast between the two, right? And our problem is not in the spirit area. It's in the soul shame of your heart. Don't read Ephesians chapter 2. I have to go a little bit slowly on this. Amen? So that we can make some threads. So you know what I mean? You ever seen a... You know when you got somebody on a mountain bike or something and they're riding down those trails? And if you go on the trail, you find some grooves. You know, there's somebody been riding there along that groove constantly. But we got to get grooves in our mind sometimes yeah. in order to grab certain truths. Amen? Amen. So let's make some grooves. <laughs> Amen? Hey, you get it? No, I'm serious, though. Yeah. I'm serious. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Teach the same thing a couple weeks down the road, and all of a sudden, man, we'll be sailing. <laughs> but right now, we got to get some grooves. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Where was that? Ephesians 2. Okay, look at this here now. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, that we are his workmanship. You know, we say by grace through faith, not of works as any man should boast. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works, which God had before ordained that you should walk in them. You are, you are God's workmanship. You are God's handiwork. You are this new creation that, that, that God has formed. All things pass away. All things become new. You are this new creation. The very life of that new creation is the life of Christ. And so on. And our life is hid with Christ and God. And you are so wonderful. So awesome. And God says, I had some plans from before the foundation of the world. I had some plans for you. And I had some good works. And the Amplified says, um, some good works which God planned beforehand taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. In other words, God says, I've created you. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You are my handiwork. And I've got some plans for you from way back. And I've got some pathways that you are to walk in. Amen? That you should walk in. Say walk. walk. Ah, that's a good word. Say, say it again. Walk. You see, this whole issue about pleasing God has to do with your walk. Where you are seated is a different thing. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and some of chapter 3 talks about where you're seated. In heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Having obtained an inheritance. And all of that. And all of that. Amen? But when you start getting to chapter 3 and 4, it says you ought to walk. It talks about your walk. Walk in the light as he's in the light. So we're not talking about where you're seated. We're talking about your walk. And it is your walk that is the issue here. It is your walk that needs some adjustment so that you can please him. 
It is your walk that needs to be a walk of faith. It is your walk that you need to walk in the light. It is in your walk that you got to learn to walk in truth. It is in your walk that you got to learn to be established in righteousness. And it is in the walk where holiness and all these other things come in. Amen? You follow me? And that's very, that's very critical. Because when a man wears please the Lord, what happens? He makes his enemies his footstool. Amen? But Paul talk about there's some people the way they walk, man, they 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 they, 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 um, they bring discredit to the gospel. They bring they bring they bring shame to the cross. Amen. You follow me? So don't say this stuff doesn't matter. It does matter. Jesus said something that is very interesting in John chapter eight and I think verse verse twenty eight twenty nine. Jesus says, "I always do those things that please the Father, and He's with me always." What do you mean? Of course he's with you always. What does that have to do with you pleasing him or not pleasing him? But when you examine it, what's he saying? He says, I always do those things that please the Father, and because of that, I always have his backing. And if you check John 14, 31, you will see that Jesus also said, for the Father give me a commandment, what to do, and I did exactly what he told me to do. He told me later in my life, I laid in my life. In fact, I don't even say anything except what he gave me to say. And because I always do those things that please him, he backs me up with his power. He gives me the Holy Ghost without measure. You follow me? God is a rewarder. They that come to God must believe that he what? That he is. And he's a rewarder of who? Them that diligently seek him. Now, that's something that works. I got to diligently seek him to be rewarded. Well, here's the thing. Faith diligently seeks him. Amen? And faith also believes that he's a rewarder. And in the scripture, uh, it could be Isaiah 45 verse 19, that basically says, um, you, don't, you, don't, you don't serve him in vain. You don't seek after God in vain. In other words, there's a reward that comes from seeking him and pursuing him. Amen? The Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 20, that a faithful man shall abound in blessing. What's a faithful man? A man in faith that stays in faith. Isn't that right? Faithful. <laughs> it also means a man that is dependable. God says, I'll make you, uh, if you be faithful in a little, what will happen? In other words, I'll promote you, I'll increase you. Amen? Why? Because he's watching you. He tests your heart. He watches your motive. And he sees, how are you going to handle this here? Job. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Test. It's not like God testing you. But it's like God watches to see if when a little bit of pressure comes, you're going to get off the word and run off. Amen? Thank God he's prayed for some of us that our faith might not fail. <laughs> Amen? So after we deny him, we might come back. <laughs> you get it? So here's the thing. The, because here's the verse of scripture. I think it's in John chapter um, 6 and verse 27 or 28. Talking about Jesus, it says, him has God proven. Which means what? It's like God watched Jesus and, and proved him, test him, and, and, and everything else, and he passed all the tests. And so he got massively promoted. Amen? Again, James 1, 20, James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures what? Temptation, tests, and trials. For when he is tried, he shall receive what? A crown of life. That God has promised to them that love him. So God calls your remaining steadfast. You're enduring, you refusing to quit, you staying in his word, you not being offended, you not drawing back. God calls that patience and perseverance loving him. And he says there's a reward that comes with that. Now watch this. Patience, that perseverance, here comes this reward with it. Right? And God calls that loving him. Now listen to this verse of scripture. First Corinthians 2 verse 9. I has not seen, nor has what? Air heard, nor eyes not seen, nor is air heard, nor is entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that. Okay. In other words, God says, I've got stuff prepared and reserved for them that love, for them that are patient, for them that will endure, for them that will pass the test, for them that will stay the course. Mm -hmm. 
Are you with me? So let us not be deceived. God is not mocked. You sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh corruption. Amen? Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due time you shall reap if you fail not. So let's not get this grace stuff confused and think we can just do whatever we want. No, 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 no. Well, you can and you can't. Because in a sense, the grace of God that brings salvation will teach you certain things. And the grace of God, I'll tell you this, Romans 5, 21, you can check it out, that grace flows and that grace multiplies through righteousness. Amen? In other words, when you're operating oneness with God, here comes more grace. Amen? And um, that grace flows through righteousness. And as you're operating in righteousness, as you're operating in oneness with God, as this love of God is abounding in your heart, which is connected up with the righteousness, then what happens? You begin to choose the things that are excellent. Amen? You begin to choose the things that are excellent, and you begin to have discernment so you could increase in the fruits of righteousness. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Are, are, are you with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go just a little bit further. Glory to God. So, God says you my workmanship and there are pathways that I've got that you need to walk in. These are the same pathways it is speaking of in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man weighs, please the Lord. God got some ways you need to walk in. He wants you to walk in faith. He wants you to walk in love. He wants you to walk in the fruits of the spirit. He wants you to walk in perseverance. He wants you to walk in, in truth. Hey, that's an awesome one. You know the scripture says in, in 3 John chapter chapter. John, third John, uh, third John, <laughs> verse 2, blessed, um, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in hell even as your soul prosper. And then it goes on to say, I had such, oh, it was so wonderful when the news came and told me how that you were walking in truth. And then it goes on to say in, in um, third John, verse 4, I have no greater joy but that to know that my children are walking in truth. Again, we're talking about walk. And other God says, man, that gets me so excited. That gets me, I mean, there's nothing that gets me more excited than when I hear my children and, and I see they're walking in truth. Not what it looks like. Not what it feels like. They're not walking by sight, but they're walking by faith. They're walking by what's settled in heaven. They're walking by that word that Jesus says, come. No matter what the storm is, he says, come, step out on the water. Amen. He says, man, that, that, he said, man God, God says, that delights me. The Bible says in another place, in um, Numbers chapter 14, verse 8 to 9, it says, God says, if, 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 if the Lord delights in you, which means you give him pleasure, you're pleasing him, your ways are pleasing him. If the Lord delights in you, he will bring you into the good land. What does that mean? Fulfillment of the promises. Amen? It, it sounds like works, but it's not works. It is the corresponding action of faith. Amen? Faith without works is what? Dead. Abraham believed God and was counted for him for righteousness. But the Bible says, and read it, read it, read it in James chapter 2 from over verse 17 to the end of chapter 2. But Abraham's faith came to maturity and it was completed by his works. He wasn't justified by his works, but his works brought his faith to maturity and demonstrated that he trusted God when he obeyed it and offered up his son Isaac. Amen. That's what it says. And then it goes on to say faith without works is dead. Are you, are you with me? So where was Abraham justified, it says? Was he justified because of his speaking? What was he justified by? He was justified by that faith when it went into action. It's like God said, okay, now I see. Now I see. Uh-huh. I, I know him. He's going to do what I tell him to do. Amen? Amen? And that's where Jesus was at. And that's where God wants us to be at. Amen? So there is, it's very, very valid, the issue of corresponding action, the issue of, of, um, of works. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Let me just wrap this up by just saying a few things here, and then I'll leave it hanging. Um, at the end of the day, here is what it's about. 
In order to please God, it's the, I mean, <laughs> pleasing God pleases God. You got to get in agreement with God. You got to get in agreement with his spirit. You got to get, get, get in agreement with his word. And you got to get agreement with your own born again spirit. Because don't forget, inside here is really perfect. So the Bible says in Romans chapter, sorry, Ephesians 4 verse 22, to strip off the old man. Strip him off with his former conversation and how you just strip off, off from the way he thinks and speaks and conducts himself and attitude. Strip him off. Strip him off like you would some furniture, like, like to the way we finish some furniture. You might have to, you might have to grind it. You might have to sandpaper it. You may even have to burn it. Amen? Amen? And then when you finish stripping it off, then be transformed by the renewing be renewed even in the very spirit of your mind. Not just renewed, but even in the spirit of your mind. Where you become so renewed that it becomes automatic. Right? It becomes automatic. Forgiveness is automatic. Speaking the word is automatic. You don't even hesitate when, you, when something is missing to declare it's found. It's just automatic. Nothing here that shall not be revealed. It's just automatic. Amen? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then it says in Ephesians 4, 24, and put on a new man. So the bottom line there is what? You, to, to, to please God, you, you got to become realigned or aligned with your new spirit man. You got to become aligned with the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18 says, um, where the spirit of the Lord is. That's where there's liberty, where he has lordship. Second mm -hmm. Corinthians 3 verse 8 says, this dispensation that you and I are living in, it is the dispensation where men must come underneath the government of the Holy Spirit. That's the Amplified Version. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. So it's alignment with the Holy Ghost. It's alignment with your spirit. And it is absolutely alignment with your word, with, with the word of God. Romans, I mean, John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my what? And my words." Abide, live, get lined up with you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Isaiah 40 verse 35 puts it this way. It says, it, it, it says um, the valleys need to be exalted. The rough places need to be made smooth. The crooked places need to be made straight. And um, whichever other one it is. And it says, and what are you doing? You're preparing the way of the Lord. And when the crooked places are made straight, the rough places are made smooth, the valleys are exalted, the mountains are made low, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That's the very fullness and the manifestation of the excellency of God. There is no promise that is not fulfilled when the glory is fully manifested. Amen? By what? That's alignment. We, we, there's a verse of scripture we sometimes misuse. First. Peter chapter 4 verse 17 that says judgment must begin at the house of God. So we say let's burn up the church. Well, not burn up the church. So let's, let, let's, let's, you know, get some whips and start turning tables. So, no, but it says judgment must begin at the house of God. You are his temple. And the Bible says in Psalms 93 verse 5, holiness becometh his house. Holiness, a house that is operating as if it's just God and God alone. Is, is, what it's, is what it's all about. And he says, that being the case, judgment, which means alignment, the crooked places be made straight, the rough places may be made smooth, alignment with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and with your own spirit is necessary, must begin at the house of God. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about alignment. And there's a reward that comes with it. Amen? Now, the, you know, it, it says a very interesting verse of Scripture. And you can go study Hebrews 11 and study all the characters and you'll see how to please him. And you'll see the faith that's involved. But Enoch, the Bible says Enoch, I love this scripture. Enoch had this testimony before he was translated that he pleased God. Before, in other words, he, he, it's, not, it's not after he got translated. In other words, somehow his walk with God got to a place where man, this is so pleased God that God says, okay, come on, Peter. And he got translated. But that didn't happen. That happened after he got to that place. What am I saying? When your ways please the Lord, he will make. He will make. He will make your enemies 
to be your footstool, whatever that enemy might be. Amen? So that leads us to the question, what are the ways that please God? And for that, we pick it up next week. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Does this make sense to you? Amen? Because, you know, it is a call to come up higher. It is a call to holiness. It is a call to sanctification. It is a call to the fear of the Lord. It is a call to honoring God. It is a call to walk as the children of light. It is a call. It is a call to live in a more intimate place with Him. It is a call to, to please God. Amen? And letting Him have greater right away, greater dominion in your life. Amen? Exercise yourself to that end. Practice. And there's some scriptures along the line, but we pick up and continue. Practice, endeavor, that this is how I want to be. I want to live a life worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Meaning what? I want to live a life that is so consistent with this call. That is so consistent with the reality that he's inside here. You see, as he is, so are you in this world. So as he is, so are you to be in this world. Amen? Because as he is, so are you. But as he is, so you need to be. Make sense? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's stand for a moment. Praise you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Let's lift up your hands and thank him. Lift up your hands and thank him and tell him what you've received. Tell him what you received. Tell him, because you see, the word preached doesn't profit them unless it's mixed with faith, unless it's mixed with action. Unless you determine that I'm going to live this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to walk this out. All it would be is just a nice intellectual exercise. Revelation is not to satisfy your intellectual curiosity. Revelation is for the purpose of doing and acting on the word of God. Revelation is for that purpose. It is for action. It is for doing. It is not just for some intellectual aha moment. Amen. So Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that even right now, with our hands lifted up before you, we have a word. Your word says that as we work out our salvation, as we draw out that life, as we draw out what you place in our spirits and become conformed to this new man on the inside, as we do that, your spirit is at work within each and every single one of us. To will and to do for your good pleasure. Your spirit is at work within each one right now, empowering us to make the changes that need to be made. So that we cannot say we can't do this because you've given us power by the Holy Ghost. We have a spirit of love, but we also have a spirit of power. The supernatural ability of God to bring forth change. That grace. So Father, I thank you right now for the quickening power of the Holy Ghost. Working within the faculties of our mind and throughout our entire being. To move us in this direction of of endeavoring to live a life that is so pleasing unto you. That we would be so irresistible, even as Enoch was. And that you would manifest your glory, your excellence, in every area of our lives, in the name of Jesus. So that even if we're tested, even if we have to stand, even if we have to endure, even if there's contradictions, even if it's not all pleasing to men, but Lord, if we seek to please men, then we're not a servant of God. So no matter what the cost might be, Father, may we have this spirit of perseverance that was in Christ. So that having done all to stand, we will stand, not be moved. Abundant therein with thanksgiving. Looking on to you, the autumn, the finish of our faith. Father, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that would 
that perhaps came in here today or they were hooked up on this live stream and they were in a place where they were about to give up, they were about to quit, they were about to throw in the towel. And Lord, I, I, I pray your supernatural strength to strengthen those arms and strengthen those knees and strengthen the loins of their mind in the name of Jesus. That they would believe unto the saving of their soul. But they would not be as those that draw back. But that they would be those that will, that will run this race with patience and perseverance. And they wouldn't know anything named quit. In the name of Jesus, I pray for that. I pray for that one that was discouraged. That they would take courage. Get a hold of your word. Get a hold of your truth. I come in agreement with them for their victory in the name of Jesus. I declare no weapon formed against them will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against them in judgment, we condemn it, we cancel it in the name of Jesus. Every demonic assignment against them, I break it now in Jesus' name. And I declare the blessing of the Lord that make it rich. I declare the power of your spirit, Lord God. I declare the anointing that breaks yokes and removes burdens. I declare they are redeemed and they are free from all fear in the name of Jesus. They are your children and there's a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of bondage, a spirit of adoption that says, Daddy, Father, you are my Father. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have a seat for a moment. Hallelujah. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen.